0: This message was recorded on the campus of Hills College. For more information, visit our website, www.ohc.org. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for the Word of God. We recognize this morning that people died so that we could have this book. Help us to treasure the Word of God. We pray that You would help us to make the Word of God a priority in our lives. We pray that you'd help us to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Lord, my feet are made of clay, and we, we recognize that you have chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and through the foolishness of preaching, you have communicated the gospel through weak and frail human beings. So we pray for the Holy Spirit to bless us as we open the pages of Your Holy Word. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Did you bring your Bibles this morning? Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 14 and verse 26. John chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus is getting ready to leave and go to heaven. And in John chapter 14 and verse 26, he promises them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 of chapter 14, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I've said to you. As much as these tools, because they are tools, of Bible study and even these these checklists can assist us in the process of reading Scripture even knowing Greek and Hebrew, even having a theology degree, even having all of the tools at your disposal, we need help in Bible study. Amen? Amen? We need divine assistance. We can't approach the Bible like we do any other subject. And here, Jesus frames for us the notion, the implication that we need the divine helper, the Holy Spirit, in the process of Bible study, the teacher. And so, as we are elaborating on our theme, Give Me the Bible, I want to spend a little bit of time... On the Holy Spirit because Jesus here indicates and by implication Bible study requires the assistance of the Holy Spirit and let's go back a few verses here to our scripture reading John chapter 14 verse 15 verse 15 is a familiar passage if you love me keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. And this last part I want us to focus on. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice that Jesus indicates that the Holy Spirit is with the disciples at the time that he's speaking to them. He says the Holy Spirit is with you, alongside of you. The word here for the Spirit is paraclete, and para means alongside. So he says the Holy Spirit is with you. But notice what he says in the last part of this phrase. He says, he for he dwells with you and will be what? And will be in you. In other words, Jesus is indicating that the Holy Spirit is presently with the disciples, but there will come a time, will be, future tense, that he will be, what? In you. In other words, the Holy Spirit, in relationship to the disciples, is going to take a position from with to in at a future time at the time that he's speaking. The Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you. And we know that that took place on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples, and the Bible indicates and uses this term that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the significance of being filled with the holy spirit cannot be minimized because in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 24 I invite you to turn there with me 1 John chapter 3 verse 24 the apostle John makes this statement that is similar to John chapter 14 verse 15 16 and 17 first John chapter 3 and verse 24 notice the way that John starts here he says, for he who keeps his commandments abides in him. Have you heard that phrase before in John chapter 14 verse 15? What did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments, right? And he also uses the term abiding. So here the apostle John says, now he who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides In us, who is the he here? Jesus, and by this we know that he, Jesus, abides in us by the whom? By the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. In other words, the notion that John is bringing out here, And the Spirit of Prophecy elaborates on this concept that when Jesus took on the form of humanity, he voluntarily chose to take on some limitations. And by the way, Ellen White states that Jesus will forever retain the human nature. Think about the implications of that. One-third of the Godhead forever identified with humanity. In other words, in the redemption plan, not only did he save us, he elevated the entire human race. And in that limitation, Ellen White indicates in the book Desire of Ages that he voluntarily gave up, set aside the omnipresent ability. He's not able to be everywhere at once. And so Jesus, where is Jesus right now? Important question for Seventh-day Adventists. He's in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. And by the way, if you ask our evangelical friends, interesting question that will engage in discussion. We know what Jesus did at the cross. What is Jesus doing right now? Let's have a Bible study on that. Amen? Amen. What is Jesus doing right now? And Seventh-day Adventists have a unique message with a biblical understanding of what Jesus is doing right now. So Jesus is in heaven in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary, and Ellen White indicates that in this physical limitation, the agency of the Holy Spirit is able to be everywhere at once. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord everywhere at once, and it is through this Holy Spirit that Jesus abides in our hearts. The idea of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Here it is. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. In other words, how does Jesus abide in our hearts? It's through the Holy Spirit. So when you receive the Holy Spirit, whom are you also receiving by representation? Jesus. Do you want Jesus in your heart? Receive the Holy Spirit. He brings with him the Holy, the the Spirit, the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, very quickly, here I want to read from Desire of Ages. I was listening to Desire of Ages in my morning devotions, and this just came, just pressed upon my soul as it was being read by the narrator. This is from Desire of Ages, page 806. I've read the book Desire of Ages multiple times, and this just spoke to me this morning, specifically about the Holy Spirit. Listen to this, Ellen White, Desire of Ages, page 806. The Holy Spirit is the breath of spiritual life in the soul. The impartation of the Spirit is the impartation of the life of Christ. It imbues the receiver with the attributes of Christ. Only those who are thus taught of God and those who possess the inward working of the Spirit and in whose life the Christ-like life is manifested are to stand as representative men to minister in behalf of the church. I want to touch on these points very quickly. I shared it in staff meeting. I want to share it here again. I shared it also with our canvassing leaders. But very quickly, there are three types of individuals. According to the book, Steps to Personal Revival, I highly recommend that book. You can get that book online. Just Google it. Transform my life, specifically in relationship to the Holy Spirit. It's a reflection of the Bible and spirit of prophecy on the gift of the Holy Spirit. And according to this book, there are three types of people. The first is the converted individual that is filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are certain visible manifestations of a spirit filled person. What are those visible manifestations? Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. The fruit of the spirit. So turn there very quickly with me. I'm going to touch on this just as an introduction to where we're going here this morning specifically in relationship to the word of God and the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, many of you know that by heart. The fruit of the spirit is the visible manifestation of a converted individual that is living in the spirit and the spirit is living in him. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit, and notice he did not say fruits of the Spirit. It is fruit singular. In other words, these are different than gifts. You can say, I have the gift of public speaking. I have the gift of teaching. But he did not say fruits. You can't say, I have the gift of love, but I don't have the gift of patience. Oh, loving, that's just not my gift. That may be yours. But he says, but the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, these are all a part of what means, it means to be a Christian. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. He uses an agricultural metaphor to describe a visible manifestation of being Spirit-filled. In other words, if you have the Spirit within, the natural result of abiding in Christ is a loving and lovable Christian. Amen? Now, I assume you've worked in agriculture at some point here. Fruit takes time. And so we need to recognize that we accept Jesus as our Savior. You're justified. Then God goes through this process, and we are all a work in progress. Amen? And God is very patient with us in this process. And so there is a maturity that takes place in the Christian experience, but Ellen White indicates in the book Christ Object Lessons that we can be perfect in God's eyes at every stage, of the growth, of the trajectory. It's being in the trend, the trajectory, more so than an introspection about where I am in the trajectory. So that's the first category, and that's the category, by the grace of God, that we all want to be the spirit-filled, converted Christian that has these visible fruits in the life. Now, in that same chapter, the Apostle Paul brings out that there's another category in relationship to the spirit that's a person that has the absence of the spirit, and there are certain visible manifestations of a person that does not have the spirit. So category number one, spirit-filled. Category number two, no spirit, no Holy Spirit in the life. And that also has visible behavioral manifestations of an individual that is devoid of the spirit of God, and it's in the same chapter of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. So let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 and onward. But the works of the what? But the works of the flesh, the others are the works of the Spirit or the fruit of the Spirit, and these are the fruit of the flesh. These are visible markers, visible indications of a person that is not filled with the Spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 But the fruit of the flesh or the works of the flesh are evident. And look at this list. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Quite a list, isn't it? Those visible manifestations are an indication that there's no spirit, anyway, the Holy Spirit in the life. Now, some of those are just heinous to our eyes. Sorcery murder, but some other ones of these are a lot more ubiquitous. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have ever had an outburst of wrath? Huh? How about hatred? How about selfish ambition? How about dissension? You ever been jealous before? So, so some other ones of these are prevalent. Everyone, at some point in the Christian experience, struggles with, with aspects of this. And we have this condition where the fallen nature coexists with the spiritual nature all the way until the second coming. Now, it doesn't mean that we're succumbing to the fallen nature, but... By the Spirit of God, we're able to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And so this is an individual that is the natural man. So category number one, a person that is Spirit-filled. Category number two, the natural man, a person that is devoid of the Spirit. And category number three is a fascinating category, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Let's go a few books back here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. This is the third category, and here Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing to believers, and he makes a fascinating statement in regards to the spiritual condition of the church members there in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people. In other words, I cannot speak to you as spirit-filled individuals, but as to what? As to carnal. In other words, Paul is elaborating on this concept that you have the spirit-filled Christian, you have the person that is devoid of the spirit, but then you have this third category that he calls the carnal Christian. In other words, an individual that takes on the name of Christ, but is exemplifying some carnal aspects. And notice what he says here, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there are, and listen to this, where there are envy, have you seen that before? In the previous list, For that, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? In other words, there is this ambiguous middle ground that he brings out, an individual that is lukewarm, and that, by the way, is the condition of Laodicea, the carnal Christian, a person that is not fully surrendered to Jesus. And although they may not have the visible manifestations like murder and drunkenness and sorcery, there are other ones like envy, strife, and divisions. And he says, you're carnal the carnal Christian. And it's interesting because the lukewarm condition of Laodicea epitomizes the Corinthian church as well. You're neither hot nor cold. You're just lukewarm. And notice the solution for Laodicea. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open the door, And notice what Jesus wants to do. He says, I will do what? I will come in. That is the solution for Laodicea. So we cannot underestimate or minimize the essential reality that we need the Holy Spirit daily in our lives. Amen? I won't have you turn there, but for the sake of time, I'll just have us read from 2 Corinthians. I'll read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. In other words, Paul brings up this interesting dichotomy between our physical and our, our spiritual nature. Our Our exterior, our physical nature is headed in a path of degeneration. It's wasting away. And uh, I'm beginning to recognize, even though my features sometimes do not give it away, my true age, there's some days that I'm struggling physically. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Because in here, I still think I'm 25, but the body is just not cooperating. (laughs) And so Paul brings out the exterior is headed in a path of deterioration but by the grace of God the spiritual nature is headed in the opposite direction of regeneration now there will be a one day at the second coming of Jesus praise God when we are given immortality and the spiritual and the and the physical will will be in in alignment with each other. But right now, we're in this strange state where our physical nature is headed down. And he says, yet, at the same time, we have the privilege and opportunity of having our spiritual nature in a path of upward trend, of regeneration. And he says, it is the what? It is the inner man. Inner man that is being renewed, how long? Day by day. The inward man is being renewed day by day. Even though our physical nature is deteriorating by the grace of God, we can receive spiritual help, spiritual regeneration, so our characters are going upward, even though our bodies are headed downward. Now, I do want you to turn to this passage here. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19 brings together The theology of the Holy Spirit in the most profound way that I have, I've read to this point in, in his writings. I mean, he just, he just synthesizes the theology of the Holy Spirit. And it's found here in Ephesians chapter three, verses 16, 17, and 18. You have to read this in your own Bible. Paul, the theologian, the missionary, to the Gentiles, synthesizes the theology of the Holy Spirit, and, and brings together everything that we've been talking about to this point. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16, 17, and 18, and 19. That he... Now, he's talking about Jesus here in the context because let's just go to verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened through his spirit in the where? In the inner man. And we just read prior to that that the inward man is being renewed how often? Day by day. Now what is the power, the entity, the person of the Godhead that renews that inner man according to Paul? The spirit. The Holy Spirit is strengthening the inner man. Praise His name. And then look at what Paul says in verse 17. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes in to strengthen the inner man day by day? He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, when the Holy Spirit comes in, who else is there by representation? Jesus when you receive the Holy Spirit in your inner man, Jesus is there by faith. That's what Paul says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And verse 18 is the point I want to hone on here this morning, specifically in relationship to the Word of God. He says that you may be able to what? That you may be able to what? What? Uh, I can't hear you this morning. That you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. I mean, this is four-dimensional here. And to know the love of God. Three-dimensional. Anyways, to know the love of God, which passes all knowledge that you may be filled with all the knowledge of God. In other words, look at the steps that he brings out here. He's going to pray to the Father that Jesus would give us the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, it renews the inner man and brings with him the presence of Jesus Christ. And the result of this is that you might know, that you may comprehend, that you may understand, that you may realize the love of God in all of its dimensions. Amen. Look at the steps for spiritual understanding. This is epistemology. How we know what we know. In other words, we have no business approaching this book without divine assistance and asking God for help that we would be thoroughly converted and surrendered amen, amen. knowing follows being converted and spirit filled i tell you i began pastoring in 2003 don't let this baby face fool you I didn't start pastoring at 12, all right. (laughs) 2003. To the fall of 2020. 17 years. It's not the longest time, but it's long enough to recognize that in ministry to individuals... I've gone over argument over argument, teaching after teaching with individuals. And finally, I came to the point of recognizing experientially that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. In other words, if you want to understand A spirit inspired book. We need to be a spiritually converted person. That's the reality. This is ground zero for Bible study. Ellen White says in the book Great Controversy one reason why many theologians have no clear understanding of Scripture is because they close their eyes to the truths they do not wish to practice. It's not because they don't know Greek and Hebrew. It's not because they don't have the tools. It's not because they don't have the intellect. It's moral. It's the heart. And that's why Jesus says in John 7, 17, he that wills to do his will shall know concerning the doctrine. In other words, I will matters more than IQ. And if you have a heart of understanding and desire to know the truth and say, Lord, give me a desire to desire, help me to surrender my thoughts and my ideas to the holy word of God, you will know. You will know. And yet a person that's a genius, that has an IQ off the charts, that approaches the scriptures with arrogance and pride and hostility will see nothing but contradictions. He will not see it. And that's why, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 through 19 is so foundational. We need to pray to the Father that Jesus would send us the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our inner man so that we can have the presence of Jesus, so that we can know, so that we can understand, so that we can perceive this. This is ground zero for Bible study, friends. Ground zero. Great Controversy, page 600. The Bible should never be studied without prayer. The Holy Spirit alone can cause us to feel the importance of those things easy to be understood or prevent us from wrestling truths difficult to of comprehension. Never open this book without praying to God. And saying, please send me the Holy Spirit to help me. The posture of prayer, you know what prayer is? Look, you don't need to pray if you can do it all. Why pray? You can do it all. The the very posture or the implications of prayer, when you pray, by implication you're saying, I need help. I need help. You don't pray if you can do it all. You only pray the recognition that, look, I need help. She says, never open this book without praying. Say, Lord, I need help. Another quote, I don't have it here, but I've cited it Previously in my ministry, she actually says when you open the Bible with pride and arrogance, without prayer, she says that it dictates the the individual that is by your side. She says Satan is actually by your side, to twist the Scripture. And she says reading like that is actually an injury to your spiritual soul. Never open this book without prayer. Steps of Christ, page 110. But without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we shall continually liable be liable to rest the Scriptures or misinterpret them. In other words, without the divine tutor, praise God we have a tutor that can be everywhere at once, that is accessible at any time, so that when we're reading this, we're not twisting things around to meet my own selfish ambitions. Because the human heart is very deceitful. If we approach the Bible without prayer, without the assistance of the Holy Spirit, you will twist the Bible to say what you want it to say, to meet your carnal desires. Never open the Bible without prayer. And so, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the most blessed gift that heaven longs to bestow upon men. Zarevages says the Holy Spirit given by faith, received by faith, brings all other blessings in its train. You have the Holy Spirit, you have everything else. So, So how do we receive this gift? The gift of the Holy Spirit. One Essential element. There are conditions for receiving the Holy Spirit, but here is ground zero again. Go here to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. If you're in my hermeneutics class, this will be familiar to you. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. Here is a familiar passage that we often quote, and we only quote the first part of the passage, particularly when we want a new car, a new house. A new suit. We say, so I ask, so you say to, so I say to you, ask and it'll be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and it'll be opened to you, for everyone who asks, receive, for he who seeks finds, to him who knocks, it'll be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he not give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If he asks, Instead of a fish, or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children? And we typically stop there. you know, we, we like to quote the beginning of this part, but notice here what Jesus is actually talking about. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the whom? Give the Holy Spirit to those Who ask him? The context of this is the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying it can't apply to other promises that God has given, but specifically, exegetically speaking, in this passage, he's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is the thing. When you ask for certain things, it's always yes. You ask for a house, new car, new suit, it may not always be yes. But you ask for forgiveness, it's always yes. Ellen White states, for forgiveness of sin, for a Christ-like temper. How many of you want a Christ-like temper? Christ-like character? For wisdom and strength to do His work? How many of you need that? And then she says, for the Holy Spirit. She says, you may ask and you will receive. Amen? So when you say, Lord, I need to be like Jesus, please help me. Yes. Forgiveness? Yes. Wisdom and strength to do his work? Yes. This is another yes prayer. You say, Lord, I need the Holy Spirit today. Yes. 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 And the tense here, in the original, the ask, it's actually keep on asking. Keep on asking for the Holy Spirit. Because how often do we need the Holy Spirit? Every day. Every day. And prior to this is the friend that comes at midnight. You know that that's that's the context of this. The friend that comes at midnights and keeps on knocking, you know, the the reluctant neighbor. You remember that story he keeps on knocking and knocking and knocking and and finally the person gets up even though he's in his bed and gets up and and he gives him the bread. Now, this is not saying that God is a reluctant individual to give us the Holy Spirit, but the the key word in the parable is persistence. Persistence. Now this is not to indicate that God is up there saying, "Oh, I guess, you know, you've prayed hard enough, you've kept on asking, I guess I'll give you the Holy Spirit now." But according to Ellen White, she indicates that the persistent asking creates in us a deeper desire for the Holy Spirit. The capacity to receive is enhanced in our persistence of the Holy Spirit, of asking for the Holy Spirit. Do you recognize that in the book of Acts, that if the Holy Spirit were to be taken away, that everything would have stopped and everyone would have known the difference? You remove the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts comes to a screeching halt. And everybody's like, what happened? A.W. Tozer says, in the church of today, you remove the Holy Spirit and everything keeps going on like it was before and nobody knows the difference. The Holy Spirit is our greatest need. Our greatest need. when I was at the East Lansing Church I was pastor of the university church that was right across the street literally right across the street from Michigan State University 40,000 students that were on the campus there Um, you know That church was like any other church. There were good things and some bad things. And I arrived there, and I was at a Wednesday night prayer meeting. I remember it distinctly. And there's the typical Wednesday night prayer meeting. There were like four people there. I just started my ministry, and I'm I'm sitting there with this humble group, and and we got into talking about praying for the holy spirit and revival and and they they said pastor like this Wednesday night prayer meeting this is not prayer meeting i mean we appreciate you coming out and everything but this is like bible study this is not praying i mean we pray for like you know just these ceremonial reasons and stuff but we want to spend extended time in prayer and we want to pray sacrificially sacrificially and and i said brothers and sisters uh, if I'm hearing you correctly, you want to pray sacrificially for the Holy Spirit and revival. Is that right? And they said, we're right. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Pastor. We, we need to pray like never before, sacrificially for the Holy Spirit. And I turned to them and I said, I'll tell you what, this Sunday morning, I'll be here at the church at 4 a.m. Join me. And you should have seen their faces. They were just like... And I found out later, this one husband and wife couple, they were leaving the church, and they said, that man is crazy. Why didn't you stop him? And the other person, the wife said, why didn't you stop him? And so I showed up in church at 3.50 a.m. And I'll admit, I was I was not expecting much. I was expecting to come in, have a wonderful time with the Lord by myself and go home. And then the next Sabbath, ah, next Wednesday night prayer meeting, I was going to say, brothers and sisters, I was here. Where were you? And uh, say, uh, I thought we wanted to pray sacrificially, and so and so I was there, and and I was and I was settling down, getting getting ready to pray and spend my time with God. When I heard the door open, and in came in the bloodshot eyes and and the disheveled hair of of these four church members that came in the morning at four a.m. These are Adventist friends. Adventists that sometimes have trouble coming to church at 9.15, come on. I mean, 4 a.m. on Sunday morning for sacrificial prayer. Oh, I said, I can't believe this. And so we got together, and we were praying for one thing, the Holy Spirit. And we said, we want to create the upper room here at East Lansing. The upper room. Mind you, this was 2007. The bottom had fallen out. Of the American economy, and this was Michigan, mass closures, the auto industry bailout i mean this you know housing prices falling off a cliff, you know our our finances are bleeding you know i 'm wondering if we 're going to have a church, you open the books, you know it 's all red we 're slashing programs like crazy i mean it 's crisis mode, and i 'm wondering. I was like, Oh, wow. I mean, what's the conference going to think? David, you, we send you down there and you've got to close the church. I mean, what are you doing? And so, so I'm here and I'm praying with these folks. I mean, we got, we got problems. We got problems. We got a mission field across the street, you know, drunkenness, debauchery, everything, football games going on Sabbath. We, we can't even find a parking spot, you know, just major, major issues in this church. And we got this humble group praying for the Holy Spirit. That group continued to pray for five years. During the tenure of my ministry there, and they continued on afterwards, we eventually moved the time from 4 to 7. We did pray at 4 a.m., for six months. in that core group, they still look back on those 4 a.m. six months with, with just glowing eyes. They said, you know what, Pastor, we appreciate the 7 a.m., but there was something about the 4 a.m. And we were pouring out our hearts to God for us to receive the Holy Spirit and to impact that mission field across the street. And that's when miracles started to happen. Miracles. Students that were Laodicean started to catch on fire for God. We sent them, Tyler, to Emmanuel Institute. They came back energized, They would join our prayer group on Sunday mornings. One of them, his name was Carlo Dove. If you've been to GYC, he he plays the trumpet. He's got one arm. Soul winner. That brother was at a bus stop. He had a card, free Bible studies. He made from Vistaprint, and, and he was at... He was at the bus stop and he's always looking for a soul to witness to. And he looked at this Chinese student. We have about 3,000 Asians that come to our church, uh, that come to, to Michigan State University from, from Asia, from China. The mission field comes. She, she's, she's atheist. She's atheist. He gives her a card. Long story short, she starts coming to our church, gets Bible studies. Nine months later, my associate pastor, Daniel Jean Francois, is baptizing her. She came to this country as an atheist and left as a Seventh-day Adventist and is doing medical missionary work in China right now. And it began in that upper room. I mean, this is not because of me. I mean, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. That same Carlo. He goes in the music program. He's a trumpeter. He starts associating with individuals in the music program. There's an individual by the name of Anthony Burrell. He's a rising star in the music program, jazz musician, a master with the saxophone. Carlos says, Look, do you want to study the Bible? He's this and, and this this Anthony Burrell is the son of a Baptist preacher. Well versed in scripture, so he thought. And and so in his testimony later on he says, Look, look, uh, you know, he thought that he would show Carlo a thing or two, and Carlo go- takes him to Daniel chapter 2 and does a very simple, simple study on the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and Anthony Burrell is floored. He says, Carlo, you, you're a Bible scholar. You're a scholar. Anthony starts keeping the sap. Coming to my church, and let me tell you, by this time, church is packed. People are sitting in the lobby. I mean, there's there's something happening in the congregation. And by the way, our church finances, and you know, the Lord puts His money where His mouth is. I didn't have to get up there and make appeals to give offering, one stewardship sermon a year. And it wasn't a guilt trip, just the blessing of stewardship. That's it. Every single year after that, church budget ended in the surplus. Surplus! When I left that church, it was $40,000 in the black. And the glory is to God. People were giving. Anthony Burrell calls his father, the Baptist pastor, and says, Dad, I'm about to join the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And his father tells him, Son, you follow your convictions. We baptize that man. And then he's sitting in my office a couple weeks later, and he says, Pastor, I can't keep continuing in this jazz program anymore. I can't do it. Now, mind you, it's a $40,000 annual scholarship to Michigan State University. He drops out of the program. He's evicted from the dorm. He loses everything. that man sat in my office and said he's walking away from it all. Excuse me. Um, the church took care of him, sent him to Manual Institute, hired him as a Bible worker. He's a minister in the Potomac Conference today. We've, we baptized his friend, Corey Matsui, who was a guitarist in the rock band. She's now a pastor's wife, married to none other than Leroy Hernandez, Crystal Hernandez's sister, a graduate of this institution. (laughs) And for friends, we need the Holy Spirit. As never before. God is about to wrap up things here on planet Earth. And from my human perspective, there is not a place on Earth I'd rather be than right here. I believe, from my human perspective, (laughs) that this is one of the places on planet Earth that is striving by the grace of God to follow the model of true education. And if ever there's a place that the Holy Spirit needs to be poured out, it's here. Amen? Amen. I believe the Holy Spirit is here, don't get me wrong, but I'm talking about just the unleashing of divine power. And divine assistance. Here, I mean, aren't you tired of mediocre? I'm not saying we're mediocre. I, 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 I want you to understand me. I'm not saying we're anything but mediocre. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about the institution, but I'm just saying, in general, aren't you tired of average? Aren't you tired of just getting by? I mean, what about the Book of Acts? I mean, that can happen. And that can happen here. Today, by the grace of God. For you individually, you can receive the Spirit of God. As we wrap up, Selected Messages 121. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to bestow His blessing upon us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that ask Him than earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. Praise His name. But it is our work. And here's the conditions. But it is our work by confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us His blessing. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. Do you want to pray for a revival? Amen. You want to pray for your own personal revival? You want to say, Lord, change the world and let it begin with me? Let it begin with us? You want to press to the throne room of God and say, Lord, give me the Holy Spirit today and every day? I pray that there's a revival on this campus that is unprecedented. Amen? That we see genuine conversions. That we see young people that are on fire for the Lord Jesus, that we see young people leading out in prayer groups, pleading with God to grant us the Holy Spirit. Young people gathering together to pray for souls and saying, Lord, lay a soul on my heart today. Amen? Amen. By His grace. And we will be, by the grace of God, be given opportunity in the upcoming weeks to minister in our community, in our chaplain, Chaplain Tyler Drum for the college. We together are coming up with a plan of active ministry in our community. We told you about the 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. time with God, but be previous to that, we're going to be having systematic, door-to-door Ministry in our community with a big picture in mind. Amen? Amen. We'll be unleashing that or or telling you more about that opportunity as we go out in the community. Because look, they asked for the Holy Spirit and then they went out. They went out. The Holy Spirit empowers for ministry. And so we need to be in our prayer closets. Amen? Men in the dorm, women, in the, in the dorm, the academy, guys and girls. Let those houses be houses of prayer. Amen. Amen? By the grace of God. Pray with your roommate. Plead for the Holy Spirit. Give Him the opportunity to work in your life as never before. I just want to make a very simple appeal. If you feel convicted to say, Lord, I want this semester, right now, this semester, to be a semester where I'm spirit filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. You want to say, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. He can create in us the desire, amen? amen? And you want to say, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. And you want to say, Lord, I want more of the Spirit. Give me a deeper desire for the Holy Spirit. I invite you to stand here this morning. So say, Lord, I need the Holy Spirit as never before. I need you. I want to make another appeal here. We're talking about revival, and as Elder Ted Wilson said, the emphasis for the General Conference is revival and reformation. They do go together. This is a specific appeal. This is not a general appeal. If there is someone here today that has an area in their life, and you know what that area is, perhaps it's only you and God, has an area in your life today that is keeping you from a full relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to come forward for special prayer. You have an area in your life that is keeping you from being a fully spirit-filled Christian. I want to invite you to come forward. Don't come forward. I should say, don't be afraid to come forward because of the people around you. Look, this is between you and God. The coming forward is a spiritual decision that's exemplified by a physical act. If you have an area in your life that God is calling you to surrender to Him, now is the time to lay it on the altar. Amen? I mean, we're living in the end of time. And when, we, when we're when we coming forward, we're saying, Lord, I, as Ellen White says, take my heart because I can't give it. You know, I, I have this area, but, but I'm... Help me to surrender. I'm willing to be made willing. And you say, Lord, take away my desire for these things. That is the prayer of your heart by coming forward. And you're saying, Lord, I want to surrender. I want revival and reformation in my heart today. Praise the Lord. Want to? Can you kneel with me as we pray? Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that You're a God of patience and mercy and forbearance. And I pray especially for those that have come forward here this morning, this afternoon. And I pray that You, with whatever area it is, that we're laying on the altar. Lord, we pray that you would take our hearts because we cannot give it. Make us clean because we cannot clean ourselves. Lord, take away our desires. Do for us what we're incapable of doing on our own. And those that have come forward, this is a physical decision that exemplifies really a spiritual one. Lord, we give you our will, recognizing and calling for the Spirit of God to do in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Lord, we cannot save ourselves, but we're coming forward this morning acknowledging that we serve a God that specializes in the impossible. Lord, break these chains that bind us. We surrender ourselves to you today. We make this decision by faith based on the merits of Jesus Christ. And I pray for every single person that has come forward and all of us in this room. Lord, we long more for the Spirit of God. We pray for a revival on this campus as never before. We pray that this semester would be a semester of victories in the kingdom of God, personally and beyond. Lord, may there be upper rooms on this campus. May we pray with each other. May we pray for each other. May we long for the Spirit of God. And we pray that when the latter rain is poured out, that all of us in this room would be privileged to receive it. We thank you for this gift and for this promise. We surrender by faith regardless of the way that we may or may not feel. Help us by your grace. We believe, help our unbelief, for we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons,